0: Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I, feel
2: it in my soul. I am a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a I am playing whatever role I gotta play.
1: I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. <laughs> A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first
0: pitch watching! Deep left field!
1: This is way back. walk Welcome! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Well fantasy becomes real.
2: Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Let's continue on with Strategy Week. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, March 14th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, all of the strategies, all of the formats head to head points, head to head categories, classic 5x5 roto. We'll get to all of them, as well as the latest news, including Jacob DeGrom's spring debut, minor league game. So, uh, you know. Take it with a grain of salt for now. If you missed any of our recent shows, remember that you can always go back and listen on demand. Yesterday, we did a snake draft strategy. Tomorrow, we'll be doing a live head-to-head categories mock draft at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on YouTube. So if you want to come watch along, we'll have the draft board up and running so you can follow along with the draft picks. And speaking of which, please like this video and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're listening on the podcast side, make sure to download, follow, and leave a five star review on Apple or Spotify. Thank you very much, Chris. Congrats, buddy! Perfect game by Jose. Yeah, in Puerto big, Rico.
1: big bounce back performance from my guys. I'm rocking the PR hat. I uh, yesterday was tough. You know, we're we're a divided household here, the Towers household in uh, in Brooklyn, because my wife is Venezuelan, my my mom's from Puerto Rico, so the 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 spanking that Venezuela put on Puerto Rico yesterday, that one hurt. That one, that one stung a little bit, but big bounce back game today. First perfect game of World Baseball Classic history. You love to see it. I will say, one, World Baseball Classic is amazing. I love it. I'm all about it. I can't get enough of the crowd shots. Just give me, give me as many pictures of people in Miami holding up flags and screaming. I'm all about it. And two, Venezuela's got a feel. Like that, that feels like, like a little bit of like a team of destiny right there in that tournament. If you're looking for a dark horse, that lineup, man, like that's one you look at them before the, 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 the tournament starts and you're like, yeah, Venezuela's pretty good. And then you look at the actual team that they're putting out there and it's like, yo, that team's good.
2: They're I'm, really good. I yeah. mean, Venezuela is ridiculous. So, I mean, I don't even know if we can call them a dark horse, but uh, just last point on Puerto Rico somewhere. I'm sure our buddy Nando DeFino is smiling about Jose DeLeon. Scott, I would ask you about uh, your thoughts on Team USA, but I I know you don't really care. So instead, (laughs) I'm going to ask you about Jacob deGrom and his debut. I don't think that this really changes anything for us because we're not really drafting Jacob deGrom, but somebody out there might want to draft Jacob deGrom, and he made his spring debut in a Double A game on Monday, racking up five strikeouts in two innings of one-run ball. He allowed an inside-the-park home run and then struck out five straight. And our buddy Chris Welsh was there. He had some video. We were texting back and forth talking about it. He said DeGrom looked solid. And then once he left his start, he threw some more pitches on a side field uh, right after that game. The ADP is 29.2. Again, I don't think this really changes anything, Scott, but I guess it's a step in the right direction for those who do want Jacob DeGrom. Yeah.
0: I mean, when when he's available to pitch, he'll be amazing. It's just... How how much is he going to be available to pitch? And I think the last few years, corresponding with a big velocity jump, I, I, I think it shows he's not going to be available that much. I just don't think his body can withstand the torque he's putting on it now. All the different um, muscles and ligaments and even bones we've seen uh, we've seen give in under the pressure. Several of them already and more to go still. So I, um, yeah, I, there, most of, I I was just writing up bus 2.0 before coming on here. And Jacob deGrom is among those I'm adding to it. And I've talked before about how, you know, any one of my bus picks I could see, I could still see myself drafting at the right value with the right team builds. You know, I, I, I could see things coming together for me to say, okay, well, it's worth the risk but Jacob DeGrom might be the one who i really can't see myself saying that about may i was thinking maybe like if it was an extremely shallow league where i just was selling out for upside like crazy that might be a scenario where i draft DeGrom but you know probably not i could probably come up with other pitchers in that same range who um, are upsidey enough that i mean cuz we're talking about top 30 pick i mean jeez yeah, I I I don't see myself drafting any of DeGrom this year.
2: Jacob DeGrom has not thrown more than 92 innings since 2019, but since the start of 2018 he is first in ERA at 2.05, second in WHIP 0.87, first by far in swinging strike rate at seventeen point three percent
1: I mean that's the thing like you look at the la- just combine the last two seasons. And look, he, he's thrown 156 innings over the past two seasons. That's not very much. If he just throws 156 innings, he has a 190 ERA, a .633 whip, and 248 strikeouts in his last 156 innings. The thing that makes Jacob deGrom so enticing is if he throws 156 innings, that probably means he missed like two months because that's 26 starts over the last two seasons, 156 innings. He might be the number one pitcher if he does
2: that. I was just going to ask you, how many innings do you think DeGrom needs to be the number one starting pitcher?
1: I think 170 innings. He's a stone cold lock for the number one pitcher.
2: I think 150 probably gets it done. I honestly. think
1: 150 puts him in the discussion, yeah.
2: Yeah. And with all that being I, said, I'm, I would take... I'm,
1: I he has take, not. I would definitely take the under for those. He has innings. not thrown 150 innings since 2019.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah he hasn't even yeah. thrown 100 since 2019. So I mean, I agree with you, Scott. I'm on the under. But again, it's just to remind people of of the talent and the upside. If he throws sure. 150, I, I think he's likely the favorite to be yeah, uh, the there,
1: one. There's no question he's the best pitcher in baseball in my eyes. I, I don't think there's even a another player who comes into the discussion and that's no knock on Corbin Burns or Garrett Cole or Sandy Alcantara or anybody. Those guys are amazing, but Jacob de is on his late nineties, Pedro ish. And I hope we see him for a full season, but yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to think of a, a team context. And like, if he fell to the fifth round, I think that's like, if, if he fell to the fifth round and I took Aaron Nola or something, I could see pairing Aaron Nola and Jacob deGrom and like, I'm going to get like 320 amazing innings from those two guys. And they're probably going to be really, really good. And I could see that, but he's not falling to the fifth round. So it's kind of a moot point. Seeing him, like if he makes it through the entire spring without injury, it's not going to change my view. This is what we talked about last year. It's, it's not a question of like, currently it's a question of is Jacob deGrom healthy? Well, by all accounts, made it through this game. He's healthy currently. Whether he's healthy right now or not doesn't really change my view of whether he's going to stay healthy. And that's the only question is whether he's healthy right now or not. Can he be healthy in late April, May, June, July, August, September? Like that's If he makes it to August without another injury, congratulations, because you're probably going to have the best pitching staff in your league. That's just really, really hard to say, even if he gets through the rest of the spring and looks like the best pitcher in baseball, as I expect he would, if he avoids injury.
2: There's always going to be one person in a league that likes to mm-hmm. grow up more than I am too. So I, someone's willing to take on the risk. It's just not going to be me. We'll save the rest of the news and notes for a little bit later on in the show, but let's talk about strategy for each different type of major format. I would say, and we'll start off with head to head categories. Cause I feel like we don't give this format enough love. And frankly, a lot of the emails that we get are about people who play. It's the most fun categories. one. Arguably. I mean, I could see uh, I could see the argument for that. I, it's I the least fun one. I typically don't love it. I, I, no. I like head Points and Roto more, honestly. That's just my opinion. But anywho, uh, this is kind of like the Wild West in terms of strategy because you could do a few different things in this format, in head-to-head categories. If you've never played, just imagine combining head-to-head points and Roto together. The standard is the usual 5 by 5 categories, batting average, home runs, runs, RBI, stolen bases for hitting, and then ERA, whip, wins, strikeouts, and saves for pitching. But people usually customize the categories, and we wind up with 7 by 7 with K-9 and quality starts, and all this kind of crazy stuff, which... Sure, why not? I'm, you know, customize it to however you want it. And I'm willing to wager that these are most of the leagues that are played on Yahoo as well, because I just feel like that's their standard format. Though, if you wanted to, you can play head to categories on CBS as well. They're typically daily lineup leagues as well, which adds just like a whole nother element of strategy. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. The starting lineups in a head to head categories league 10 hitters, one of each infield position, three outfielders, two utility no corner or middle. You've got eight pitchers, two starting pitchers, two relief relief pitchers, and then four pitcher spots, which could either be a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher. Uh, and the scoring is pretty much what it sounds like. You go up against an opponent. If your team hits more home runs that week, you win that category. Chris, while we're on that topic, I know that you're the one that I have to go to when we talk about how to track standings in a head-to-head mm-hmm. categories league. There's two different major like main ways that you could play. There's one win where as long as you win more categories, you win nine to one or you win six to four, you get one win. Your record becomes one and oh. The other way to play is if you win nine to one in week one and 10 zip in week two, that adds up. Your Mm -hmm. record is now 19 and one by the end of week two. And if you lose the next week, you know, zero to 10, then you'd be 19 and 11. So it just keeps adding up. as The season goes along. Which is the one that you prefer? I, I always forget.
1: To quote Dom Toretto Uh-oh. in the film franchise Fast and Furious, Uh-oh. doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. You never had me. You never had your fantasy <laughs> baseball team. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you win, you win. I don't care like, oh, you won five and a half to 4.5. That's not as impressive as winning 10 to nothing. It doesn't matter. All right, run differential doesn't count in the standings. All right, except in the World Baseball Classic. But, you know, that's a that's a special thing. A win's a win. If you win 20 to nothing, congratulations. You just wasted a bunch of runs. You want to win one nothing every time out because that's all that matters. One-run games are still wins. That's my preferred way to play. I prefer to play that. Partially, it's just like I think one of the benefits of head-to-head points is like you have that weekly Attic. matchup. Right. No, no, head-to-head points. Oh, okay. One of the things is your head-to-head matchup really matters because you get 18 or 20 of them to get to the playoffs. And so it's really hard to build like a huge lead. It's really hard to fall completely out of it. Most teams are gonna generally be in the same range. Once you start like having, you know, you're 10 weeks into the season and you're you've got a hundred wins or a hundred category wins available. It just it gets harder to like make up ground. I, I prefer you could say the randomness of a head to head points league or or whatever. I think that's part of what makes fantasy sports great is the competitiveness between your teams, the yes, the randomness, the the fact that the best team isn't always gonna run away with it. So I I prefer that. Just I, I think it creates a a more competitive environment overall.
2: All right, and before we get further down the rabbit hole, let's just talk about general strategy. Scott, coming your way, head-to-head categories. How do you usually attack it?
0: Well, usually is a difficult word to use with as much as the baseball environment has changed over the past few years. But um, to put it in the most general terms, I would say that I approach it closer to a roto league than I do to a points league. I think the evaluation of players obviously is comparable because you're talking about category scoring. And, you know, I think we're generally talking about five-by-five five category scoring. I know a lot of people who write in with questions about their head-to-head categories league, they have like the seven-by-seven, eight-by-eight monstrosity where things are being counted two and three <laughs> times over. And all player evaluations are just out the window at that point. But if we're speaking to the five by five player out there um then you know i i think generally the way we approach players in roto leagues applies of course you laid out the standard yahoo lineup which would not have five outfielders that have three and would not have the extra middle infielder and quarter infielder in the two catcher spots so like those obviously you have to you, have, you mileage may vary depending on exactly how you set up your league, but just in terms of how um, to evaluate players and, and how to uh, gauge their contributions, you know, obviously it's similar to a roto league. And I think, like in a roto league, I mean, for me, even in a head to head points league this year, I'm emphasizing hitters over pitchers. I think the big category contributors are going to run out within the hitter ranks sooner than they run out within the pitcher ranks, and I think they'll be harder to find over the course of the season just given the environment that we're in. Um, also, in head-to-head categories leagues, um, and, and this may be even more so than roto leagues, I I I think you can get away with not investing so much In either starters or relievers, like you can kind of tailor your pitching staff more toward one or the other. uh, Particularly if it's set up like Chris laid out, where just a wins a win, regardless of how many individual categories you win in a week, you don't like you can you can punt saves easier in this format than you can in a roto league, uh, provided that you're you know pretty loaded in the starting pitcher categories, and conversely, you can. I don't know that. I don't know that. I want to say you could punt strikeouts, but you could punt wins if if you have if you have big enough uh, K per nine guys among your reliever ranks that you still have a chance in, in strikeouts every week. Because of course, the smaller the thing the thing that I think distinguishes head to head categories from roto leagues mainly is that you're, you're talking about one little sliver of a season at a time right and and that introduces a lot more randomness looking at it a week at a time so it's really hard to say even if you have this amazing pitching staff oh i'm gonna win era every week oh i'm gonna win whip every week because all it takes is one ugly start to to kind of blow that up right so that takes a lot of the predictability out of that and you can kind of lean into that with your team build where if you're if you're emphasizing counting stats more like a big strikeout artist uh, or like a bunch of saves guys or like, I don't know, if you want to go for wins instead. It's hard to say wins are predictable, but generally speaking, counting stats are going to be more predictable from week to week, more uh, stickier from week to week than, uh, than the ratio stats will be. And that goes for like batting average among hitters too.
2: Chris, do you ever punt categories in a head-to-head categories league? Because I've punted steals in the past. They're just such an independent statistic where... I'd rather focus on mashers or batting average guys because those guys will typically contribute in multiple categories at one time. So I've punted seals in the past, and I like to load up on relievers to, you know, maybe get two to three closers and then just have two more strong ratioed strikeout type relievers just to kind of fill in the gaps throughout the week. Uh, Do you have a a typical strategy and do you punt categories?
1: Yeah, I think this is the nice thing about the head to head categories format is, you do have a bit more flexibility in the type of team you want to build because you can, especially in those one win per week game or leagues, you can punt steals and, you know, potentially dominate the four hitting categories and not suffer too much from it because there's a wide array of possible steal amounts that your opponent's going to have. And so, Let's say you've got a team that might only steal two or three bases per week. That's going to be pretty bad in a Roto League. You're probably going to be close to last place. But in a head-to-head categories league, you're going to have some weeks where you're going against someone else who's projected for the same amount of steals, and you're going to be competitive. You're going to have some weeks where you're going up against a team that loaded up on steals. They're relatively weak at the rest of the positions, and they just don't get many steals that week. So punting is a more viable strategy in your head-to-head categories. Now, it's it's also a kind of risky strategy because you're going to be playing in the playoffs and you're going to be in a situation where you lose one week and your season's done. Everything you've done to that point. That's not how it works in a roto league. You're competing the whole way through. But in your uh, head-to-head categories and points leagues, one week could end your season and one bad week or one week where you run into a team that has great offense and steals bases And all of a sudden you're at a major disadvantage. So it's a it's a risk reward strategy, I think, generally speaking, in your head-to-head categories leagues, especially the ones where you play five and a half point category points in a week is a win. I think it's a really viable strategy because the, the upside is greater. Just think about like if you win five and a half categories, let's say you you know you can dominate three hitting categories and you're gonna be competitive in pitching. And you win 5.5 categories every week, you're gonna go five, you're gonna go a thousand in the leagues where you win one category or one game per week. Whereas if you win, if you're in the win five and a half categories, you win five and a half categories, your win percentage is gonna be five fifty. If you're in a roto league, that team's probably not very good, frankly. No. So it's it's uh, kind of it's a it's a format where it introduces more flexibility and more variability in how you build your team. On, and on the subject
0: of punting steals, uh, be, because, like in that, that uh, typical Yahoo lineup you laid out, Frank, where you just have the three outfielder spots, no middle infielder, no corner infielder, you know, kind of like we talk about head to head and head to head leagues in general, that leaves fewer hitter spots to get impact from. And what that means in a head-to-head categories league specifically is that I don't see a lot of value. And this is a realization I just came to a couple of years ago, and I, I think it's improved my performance in these leagues. I don't see a lot of value in steel specialists because you're just sacrificing too much in other categories With few other with fewer lineup spots than like in a roto league to make it up, you know. So uh, unless I get stolen bases from my early round picks that are going to help in all those other categories, specifically home runs, Mm -hmm. then I'm probably I probably am more or less punting stolen bases. And and obviously between like when you're when you're looking for individual qualities in certain hitters, I I think power is the biggest one. Like you don't want to sacrifice batting average for it. though batting average is going to be less sticky from week to week. So there's going to be, um, even with a bad batting average team, there are going to be weeks where you win batting average probably. But home runs, of course come with an RBI and a run every time one of them is hit. And I think if you overdo it with home runs so that you're basically ensuring yourself a win in that category every week, you're going to consistently do really well in runs and RBI as well. So you're going to do consistently well in 60% of the hitting categories, probably when batting average, you know, a fair amount as well, unless you just really neglect that one. And then steals, you know, if you happen to get them great, if you don't, it's not a big deal. So I I've really tried to like normally in roto leagues, you try for this really careful balance. Oh, what if I finish, first place in home runs with 30 more than any other team what was what, you know what a waste that would be i, I think that's less of a concern in the head-to-head categories league because if you can bank that win every single week that's a big advantage
2: if we're talking head-to-head categories you know that we're talking the infamous marmol strategy named after relief pitcher extraordinaire carlos marmol of course what is it in leagues with either a low weekly innings minimum or no weekly innings minimum that's a big point here because you're you're basically just starting relievers. You punt starting pitcher. You take hitters with your first eight to ten picks, then you draft closers and other relievers with strong ratios and strikeouts. You punt wins and strikeouts. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe you could compete in strikeouts. Probably not. If other teams have like starting pitchers going, you dominate ERA whip saves and the hitting categories. That's basically the point. I have never tried this, but I've I know other people that have had success with it. Have either of you guys ever tried or uh, or successfully used the Marvel strategy in this format?
1: Yeah, I've I've tried it. It's part of the problem is relievers who aren't closers knowing who's good among that group kind of tricky <laughs> because really good relievers tend to but are not always closers, and so. You're going to be either paying for closers or building a team out of pitchers who you think are good, but may not be because we're dealing with inherently small sample sizes for relievers. And if you think about it over the last three seasons, I mean, the further we get away from that 2020 season, the easier it is to to say for sure, because the sample sizes are bigger. But like. Even relievers who haven't missed a single day over the past three seasons have thrown 150 innings I mean that that's that's not very much so it's really hard to know like it's hard to know quality of pitchers just in general just the the inherent nature of pitching how much changes how much seemingly tiny changes in a player's arsenal or velocity can manifest themselves in huge ways and how they pitch that's difficult but then also just 150 innings over three seasons just isn't very much. Yes. Skill sets can change skill sets skill sets and vary. We know luck and randomness play a huge part in pitching results. So the problem with the Marmol strategy is it's in an, an inherently volatile strategy. That being oh, yeah. said, ideally it's a volatile strategy where you're leaning into the volatility and you're not paying very much for the players that you acquire or you're paying a lot for the guys you know are bankable. Those couple of aces that you get if you go that way, or the high-end hitters that you're that you're going to be building your team around.
0: Yeah, and I think it's viable. Again, the Marmel strategy, part of what happened during the juice ball era was there, there became to be so much depth among all hitter positions that it was hard to get a clear advantage by investing early in hitting. And I think... You know, as as I just laid out, I want to drafter uh, hitting early in every format again. So I think that advantage to draft to loading up on hitter earlys hitters early is back. And that's really the um, the 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 big advantage of the Marmol strategies. You just kind of neglect pitching with the idea that high end middle relievers are available everywhere. like, uh, the most dominant middle relievers, you know, maybe not like the two or three most dominant, but if you're talking about the the 25 most dominant middle relievers in a given season, 20 of them probably aren't even that high on our radar right now just because of the volatility Chris was speaking to. Like, So that's going to be – if that's a valuable asset in your league, that's going to be the easiest one to find on the waiver wire. And the, and the Marmol strategy kind, kind of leans into that. It's personally not something I've ever been attracted to personally. Um, I said personally twice there. It's not something I've been attracted to personally, but I've known other people who've had success with it.
2: Lastly, how can you take advantage of the daily lineup factor? Splits. I think if you want to play Rockies hitters at home, it's something that you could look into doing. The CJ Crones of the world. Chris Bryant, you're probably playing everywhere. But, you know, some of those fringe Rockies. Streaming hitters uh, like Jock Peterson against right-handed pitching and... Mike Brasso against left-handed pitching. I don't think anyone's streaming Mike Brasso, but I just wanted to say his name.
1: It's worth noting left-handed. This is something that uh, Derek Hardy talks about a lot. Left-handed splits uh, for hitters versus left-handed pitching. There's a ton of noise in them. There are very few hitters who genuinely cannot hit righties, but are good lefty hitters. And the problem is you're dealing with very small sample sizes for everyday players. You're talking about maybe 220 plate appearances a season against lefties for the kind of guys that you're likely to be drafting who might be platoon specialists. You're talking about much smaller samples. So it's, I think targeting lefties who can't hit lefties is a viable strategy in your daily head to head categories, leagues and, and any daily league really righties. One, you're talking about just, a smaller amount of plate appearances in any given season, and also just a noisier data set.
2: All right. And then you're likely streaming lots of starting pitchers if you play in a daily format as well. Uh, But I think that pretty much covers it. Did I miss anything? You guys good?
0: Oh, you probably missed a lot, but we're trying to get to three different (laughs) (laughs) scoring formats here. It's going to be a two hour show. (laughs) Yeah.
2: All right. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's take our first break here and then we'll uh, get to some news and notes on fantasy baseball today. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You're ready, Bob. Well, all right, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. <laughs> it's the feel good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley one love. Ready PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24 7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24 hour streaming channel serving non stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. It's bracket time, and the Ion College Basketball Podcast is your destination for top-notch March Madness coverage for the next three weeks. Join Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander as they offer four region-by-region previews plus a mega bracket preview with all the advice you need to win that office pool, download and follow I on college basketball, wherever podcasts are found. And just a reminder that you can join our FBT bracket at CBS slash baseball. The winner will receive a paramount plus gift card and then make your own bracket cbssports.com slash play is the link for that. Let's talk some news and notes. Juan Soto will not be allowed to play consecutive games in the World Baseball Classic. He said that his left calf feels excellent, but I suppose that they're just playing it safe for now. Uh, He reached base three times and homered against Nicaragua. Nicaragua, So I think he's fine. He (laughs) looks pretty good.
0: (laughs) I can't recall, of because I know when it first started, the world in this, you know, it first started what? almost 20 years ago at this point, when it first started the world baseball classic, there was a lot of concern about it bringing on injuries, and uh, in a way spring training doesn't, but there, there ha-
1: has, there been a major like season altering injury? There were a couple, I want to say Johnny Cueto got hurt during one of them. I was doing some research about this, but generally speaking, the research that I found led me to believe that there's not much to be concerned about there. Um, yeah, Injuries happen at this time of the year. This is the worst time of the year for injuries. That's just generally true of, it's also true of training camp in football. That's the the time when injuries are most common. And it makes sense. Soft tissue injuries especially are, are a big t- risk at this time of year. And so if guys are trying harder in the World Baseball Classic, I think there's more risk. But also like, yeah,
0: that was the argument. That just hasn't problem. happened. I, well, and, I think they've done a really good job of protecting them, like with Soto here. And
1: you know they're playing like three games in four days, or you know eight eight games in eleven days, or whatever it is. So it's not an exact a, a totally grueling schedule. And also, like I think there's also just some risk of like being in a spring training game against minor league players. I think there's probably as much or more injury risk just from like. Pitchers who don't have as good a control or clumsier base runners and defenders like I think there's more risk of you running into someone inadvertently in a spring training game when you're talking about guys who are 19 and 18 and aren't just playing at as high level. So I, I think it probably comes out in the wash overall.
2: To be fair, Chris, some of these teams that are out playing WWE, sure, you know, yeah. are not great either. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is expected to be ready to return to spring training games in a few days. He's been dealing with right knee inflammation. Felix Bautista will make his spring debut Tuesday against the Pirates. He's been slowed by shoulder and knee issues. Assuming he makes it through this appearance and likely a, a couple more. I think he should be good to go. Let's let's see if there's any uh, velocity readings in that game tomorrow. Well, today, if you're listening on the podcast side. Starling Marte could return as soon as Tuesday. He was hit on the helmet by a pitch on Sunday, but thankfully avoided a concussion. Kodai Senga threw off flat ground from about 90 feet Monday. He's nursing tendinitis at the base of his right index finger. Are you guys concerned about this at all? I mean, you know, pitcher coming over from Japan, I think inherently there's a good amount of risk there anyway you know, mm-hmm. just transition to a new country, a new game, a different baseball, uh yeah. pitching, you know, more well, frequently. That's,
0: that's what caused this injury, is my understanding. Right. So this is um this exemplifies that concern. It's a slicker baseball that's used in America and uh 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 the the, the Mets GM said this is something that often happens with pitchers come over from Japan. They they grip it tighter you know, on a subconscious level, they're gripping it tighter because it's slicker. And and so so then they develop these, these finger issues. So that's just one little example of the kinds of changes they're having to adapt to. I also think the ball's a little
1: bigger in America. It's a little bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, And it's not as, uh, the Japanese balls are manufactured to be tacky. They don't like rub them down with Delaware river mud and all that. (laughs) And so they, generally are easier to grip so it's there
0: there are a lot of variables that <laughs> make make analyzing how this is going to work difficult and and, and including durability and and you know how he's got
1: questions to- on on that regard anyway uh because he hasn't i don't think he's thrown 150 innings in any of the last two or three seasons If I'm from
0: already has those concerns and now with these new variables they're even amplified uh so that's I I haven't had a lot of uh, I, I I haven't been especially zealous about drafting Senga this year. If I can get him at a good value, I think the strikeout upside especially is interesting. But I'm expecting a high whip and a lot of a lot of volatility and a lot of maybe not a lot of IL stints, but at
1: least one. I will say he's shockingly cheap this year. That's the one thing is that there's very little hype around him. Even having seen him. Look pretty good in spring training, or at least have very good stuff in spring training games. So, I find him to be an interesting later round pick, just because he's in that low risk range. Yeah. Where, like I agree, there are things that can go wrong for him, but is he outside the top two hundred still? Uh, no, he's he's- one seventy five. Okay,
0: so you know, I I like going in the same range a little after like the Charlie Morton group and and. Maybe around like Drew Rasmussen a little before Grayson Rodriguez. And I just, you know, there's a lot more upside available in that range that I feel there are other upside targets that I feel have been better about than yeah, saying
1: he, he's 190 in NFC drafts. That's I guess what I was thinking of. And like he is right ahead of Grayson Rodriguez. I think I'd rather have Grayson Rodriguez, but kind of similar cases where don't know if you're gonna get a ton of innings, but there's big upside. He's going after Drew Rasmussen, Tony Gonsolin, Brady Singer. I might like him more than those three.
2: Yeah. You mentioned, yep. you said Rasmussen as part of that group. Chris? Yeah,
1: Rasmussen, there was, yeah. was he throwing like a couple miles an hour harder in his most recent spring start? Or there was something in his pitch data that was really interesting. I can't remember. It might have been a new slider. Um, there was something that that was going on with him.
2: I don't think the velo was up, but but he's just someone who has pitched really well over the past mm-hmm. year, So I, I do like Rasmussen quite a bit myself. Uh, let's move on. Trevor Bauer is signing a one-year $4 million deal with the Yokohama Dina DNA Bay Stars in Japan. So, peace. Right. Christian Walker is uh, left Monday's game after being hit in the left leg by a fastball. The D-backs say it was precautionary. There was a report that Jose Quintana would be shut down from throwing for three months, but then... Mets GM Billy Epler shut that down, saying that they don't have all the information yet. I think either way, Quintana's going to miss some time here. We just don't mm-hmm. know how much yet. And it looks like one of Tyler McGill or David Peterson will be the Mets' fifth starter. And it seems like McGill is the favorite for that job as of now. Uh, David Peterson is dealing with a foot contusion.
1: And Tyler McGill is like... I don't know if he's consciously going for it, but he seems to be aiming for some kind of like Statcast darling... Status because he already had you know the the big velocity jump last season that we we got pretty excited about and then I saw he's added like ten inches of drop to his curveball this off season which would put him in like the ninety second percentile I think was what I saw in terms of curveball drop so he remains interesting not sure how good he is we've seen flashes but remains very interesting.
2: Yeah, so Tyler McGill made a start on Monday. His fastball velocity was down two miles per hour. The slider was down 2.6. The curveball was down four miles per hour compared to last year. So he's probably consciously throwing a Mm -hmm. slower, loopier type curveball. And I still think there's some upside there. So, you know, we'll see between those two, Tyler McGill and David Peterson. I I do like both in deeper leagues. Garrett Mitchell resumed running, but is not expected to return to games until this weekend. He's dealing with right hamstring tightness. David VR has been diagnosed with a mild left hip flexor strain. If he misses any time, J.D. Davis would likely play third base with Lamont Wade at first. Brandon Crawford is dealing with left knee discomfort and will be shut down for a week. If he misses time during the season, Tyro Estrada likely slides over to shortstop with Wilmer Flores at second base. Nick Zell is unlikely to be cleared for opening day as he recovers from a fractured toe in his left foot. And here's a very deep name for you. Will Benson. He came over in a trade with the Guardians, and he's having a really good spring. He's 11 for 27 with one home run and five steals. Former first-round pick as well. He's struggled with strikeouts in the minors, but um, he, he made some improvements last year. So I'm, I'm kind of interested if he's a semi-regular player in in Great American Ballpark. In deeper leagues, of course. That is Will Benson. Uh, Aaron Ashby will throw all flat ground Wednesday. It's the first time he'll throw since being diagnosed with a shoulder impingement and a slight labral tear. Scott, are you looking to draft Ashby late in any leagues and stash him on the IL?
0: I, am, I have not made that a high priority yet. I do think there's still upside there. He has a lot of swing and miss potential to go with a high ground ball rate. High ground ball rate is becoming less interesting uh, than it, than it did during the scary time of fly balls as the juice ball year? I just want to keep I don't want to have to keep saying Juice Ball year over and over again. So I'm trying to come up with ways to vary references to that. And he was such a letdown last year. And the Brewers don't have an opening for him in the rotation at present. They probably will at some point, but I don't know how high of a priority priority it is even for them to get him in there.
2: Blue Jays pitching prospect Ricky Tiedemann is dealing with a left shoulder with left shoulder soreness and will be shut down for a few days. Uh, He is one of the top pitching prospects in all of baseball. And if he performs well, we are likely going to see him at some point this season. A few spring training performances worth mentioning. Jared Kelmick, another strong game on Monday. He went two for three with his second steal. He's batting 462 with just a 21% strikeout rate. Of course, in a very small sample size, only 28 plate appearances. The ADP is 236 in the month of March. It was 295 before that. So we're up about 60 picks for Jared Kelnick. And Michael Conforto hit his fourth home run of the spring. It's okay. It's coming back from the shoulder surgery. It came off of Julio Tehran, So, you know, not the most impressive. But uh, are we sleeping on Conforto? I feel like we haven't talked about him at all. His ADP is 246.8. Yes,
1: but-
0: the thing I keep coming back to is he was pretty bad the year the last year he was healthy. Uh, didn't provide much of anything offensively and try to remember exactly how what the timeline was for the shoulder injury if it may have contributed to it. He has talked about making a mechanical adjustment this spring just kind of syncing up his lower half with his upper half better and I don't know what he's like it wasn't clear what he was adjusting from. If he was saying I was doing this wrong in what was the last season we saw in 2021, um, and now I fixed it, or if just I was doing this wrong early in camp and now I fixed it. I don't know. But he, he's he's obviously been a productive fantasy player in the past. I just I, I was concerned that during that 2021 season he revealed himself to be somebody who doesn't translate as well to a post juice ball league. Maybe these four home runs this spring are suggesting otherwise, but it is the Cactus League where it's very easy to hit home runs. So hard to say
2: all right. Would you guys rather have Michael Conforto or Jared Kelnick if you're just choosing between the two?
0: I'd rather shoot for the upside of Kelnick unless it's like a fifteen team league, and you know you have to you have to go for the boring pick sometimes.
1: I think it probably depends on what my team need is just because Kellenic is likely to give you more speed, but uh, I I think I'd probably go with Kellenic. But if I did need cheap power, Michael Conforto is someone who, who is worth keeping an eye on for sure.
0: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else?
2: All right, let's get into head-to-head points strategy, perhaps the most popular format on CBS and the most similar to fantasy football. So, if you're you or your friends are thinking about playing fantasy baseball for the first time, if you listen to this, you probably already play fantasy baseball. But you know, if you're just trying to spread the word, I would say to start with the head-to-head points format. It is a shallower leagues a uh, shallower league in terms of starting lineups: nine hitter spots, one of each infield position, three outfielders, and then one utility. No corner, no middle, and then five starting pitchers and two relief pitcher spots. You only start 16 players total, and there are many different iterations of head-to-head points leagues and, and different types of scoring, but here's the standard on CBS. This is how I've always played, and Scott, I would assume this is close to how you've always played, or you know, at least what you've started with. Uh, one point for each of a single walk, hit-by-pitch run, and RBI. Two points for a double, three points for a triple, four points for a home run, though it's actually six points because you, uh, you get the run and the RBI on top of it. Two points for a stolen base, and hitters lose half a point for strikeouts. So that's why we're always talking about strong plate discipline when it comes to this format for the hitters. And then on the pitching side, you get three points per inning pitched, Half a point for a strikeout, seven points for a win, seven points for a save, three points for a quality start. You lose one point for each of a hit, walk, a hit by pitch, or earned run allowed. You lose five points for a loss. And how much do uh, the elite starting pitchers usually wind up with in this format? Last season, Justin Verlander led all starting pitchers with 21 and a half fantasy points per game. Sandy Alcantara and Max Scherzer the only other two starting pitchers over 19 fantasy points per game. Scott, we'll start with you. General strategy in this format, head-to-head points league.
0: Well, again, we're coming out of um, a time that forced me to change my strategy, so I'm kind of dusting off my playbook from prior to 2016 and um, emphasizing hitting and position scarcity more i have i'll I'll admit i have a a points league bias because it is the format i played in the longest it's the format i like the most and it's the format probably where i've had the most success i've I've had a fair amount of success in all of them but i think i perform most consistently in the points leagues uh so a lot of times when I have when I express preferences on this podcast, it it, it is kind of with a head to head points bend. For instance, the tiers approach, where you're where you're trying to make sure you um, have a quality player at each position by targeting the position closest to a drop in a tier. Um, and, and then my emphasis on position scarcity in in, in the early rounds especially, like i got to get a third baseman in round three. I'd love to get a second baseman in round two. Uh, or, I'm sorry, if I have to get a third baseman in round two, I'd love to get a second baseman in round three. I think those translate best to points leagues, to head-to-head points leagues, because there are so few hitter spots to fill. And the differentiation is, the way to differentiate your team is clearest going position by position like that, as opposed to, in a Roto League or Categories League where you can create differentiation um, beyond just positions. You could do it by uh, targeting certain categories at a certain time. In head-to-head points leagues, of course, all production goes into the same bucket, so you don't need to diversify uh, player uh, statistical contributions. If a player does something... And there's a lot more something that are some things that are rewarded and had to have points, leagues, doubles, triples, etc. If a player does something, it something good, it earns him points that goes into this big bucket of points. And so you just want the players who do the most good things. And um, I think I I think in a way it it, it creates like I think, I think it may be it, it more fairly assesses players because it it takes into account a wider variety of contributions. So I, I think a player's head to head points value is probably closer to his real life value. So that's one of the things I like about the format. Um, and it also creates these. Uh, And if like market inefficiencies where just certain contributions go overlooked because they're not the sort of things we're used to evaluating in players, Uh, particularly if you're playing with people who aren't as experienced in this format, they might not recognize for. And so, well, I mean, the point I brought up just the other day, how good Anthony Rizzo was in this format last year, fifth best first baseman on a point per game basis. Uh, and of course he's valued nowhere close to that in pretty much any fantasy rankings you're going to look up and i'm not saying he's he should be drafted as the fifth best first baseman in this format either but that's the exa- the sort of that's it that's an example of how um kind of those under the radar contributions can get can, can create these uh these opportunities to just kind of find sneaky value
2: i guess Let's talk about some of those hitters because you mentioned Anthony Rizzo, and again, plate discipline matters a ton. For example, Alex Bregman averaged more fantasy points per game than Austin Riley last year in the CBS Sports head-to-head scoring format. So, which hitters see a boost? Adley Rutschman, Anthony Rizzo, Max Muncie, Alex Bregman, uh, Wander Franco, Juan Soto, George Springer, Stephen Kwan. Which hitters lose value and thus are better in Roto or? I guess even head-to-head categories league. If you're if you're building a balanced roster, Dalton Varsho, Nate Low, Tommy Edmond, Bobby Witt Jr., t- uh, Tim Anderson, Michael Harris, Cedric Mullins, and Adolis Garcia. Chris, something I've always tried to do in a head-to-head points league is, and it sounds so obvious, right? Like get hitters on good teams who bat in the top half of the lineup lineups of these said good teams because it gives you more opportunities at plate at plate appearances and thus more opportunities for fantasy points. It's very much so a, a DFS type thinking where obviously I want more opportunities to earn fantasy points. So I want more played appearances on good teams, obviously.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's where you think about, you know, uh, it's especially true of like catchers, but even a player like Kyle, Kyle Tucker, who has a lot of upside on his own, but he's kind of been held back a little bit by the fact that he mostly bats fifth and sixth in that lineup. There is a path to Kyle Tucker playing exactly as well as he did last season and being a much more valuable player solely from batting second in the lineup. And that will obviously be true in in a roto league as well. But, you know, I think the, the more direct correlation is to head to head points value because all that matters ultimately in head to head points is volume. Now, yes, you have to be a good player, but a good player who plays every day at the top of the lineup they're going to be really, really valuable in head-to-head points, even if, you know, in Roto, their specific mix of skills doesn't necessarily make them super valuable. So uh, it, it is a thing where, you know, you can kind of get, like, exponential value is not the right way to put it, because that has a specific mathematical definition. But, like, players can dramatically increase their value from seemingly minor changes in their circumstances or their performance but mostly in this instance their circumstances you know the way you put it good players on good teams who are going to hit high or good players who aren't currently hitting high on good teams but could move up in the lineup you know those guys have a chance to really outperform their value and uh you know i, I think a team that i think of a lot in this regard would be the 2021 blue jays where we thought this was going to be a really good offense turned out to be an incredible offense that just created a ton of volume. I think Boba Shet led the league in plate appearances that year. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero was in the discussion for leader, league leaders and plate appearances. That matters more in, in head-to-head
2: points. And if you listen to this podcast, you've probably heard the term SPARP at some point. What is a SPARP and why do we want them? It stands for starting pitcher as relief pitcher. And who are the best SPARPs? Spencer Strider, Hunter Brown, and then it pretty much stops there. Matthew Boyd, Nick Martinez. Kind of stops after Spencer Strider, frankly. Yeah, basically. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, Yusei Kikuchi, Trevor Williams, Clark Schmidt, and Ryan Yarbrough. And the reason we want them is because you can use them in a relief pitcher spot, and they're giving you more volume. So typically, they're probably going to be better than a reliever, and they have a chance at uh, a two-start week. They at least have more upside than
0: a reliever, though. I have seen people go for the low end types and it, I don't know that that necessarily pays off when there are closers out there that you could yeah. choose from instead. It,
1: um, it's more the like those guys in two start weeks. Like this this year Spencer Strider I think is the only guy and I guess Hunter Brown but even then I'm not sure he's going to be that gotta viable. Got to get Matthew Boyd up your list folks. Mm. Matthew Boyd
0: might be the third
1: I, one. I I've uh, I've been burned by that one but just to to put some <laughs> context to it Merrill Kelly was the number 20 starting pitcher in head to head points leagues and CBS scoring formats last season with 489.5 points. He was also the number 20 pitcher in CBS head to head points leagues. Merrill Kelly outperformed Emmanuel Class A, who was the number one relief pitcher. Uh, Among the top 50 overall pitchers, let me see if I'm doing this math right, six of them were relief pitchers last year. So it can be easy to overstate the impact of a spark. If you get an especially good one, you know, Spencer Strider last year was pretty good. Uh, Especially, you know, he finished 42nd in points, but remember he was only in the rotation for about two thirds of the season, maybe a little less. Uh, So, you know, he was as valuable as Jordan Romano over the course of the full season when he was actually in the rotation, he was quite a bit more valuable. So that's the, the upside for a spark is very, very high. And we'd be remiss
0: not to point out that when we talk, when you talk about head-to-head points leagues, I think most people's minds immediately go to starting pitchers, who we barely mentioned here. Uh, Starting pitchers tend to get drafted earlier. Starting pitchers, uh, I I, I think, usually the best starting pitchers outscore the best hitters, and so there's this belief that oh, this is this is the format where. It makes the most sense to load up on high-end pitchers and just take whatever comes to you at hitter. And people have had a lot of success with that. Certainly, coming off the the six-year period we're coming off of, I'm not going to mention it by name again. Um, Juice ball. That era. was that was kind of the only way to go. Like it kind of ruined the appeal of the points league to me because it it just meant loading up on starting pitch high-end starting pitchers because there were just the hitter ranks were so deep. Uh, that it only made sense to di- differentiate yourself with starting pitchers, and then once they were gone, you could start drafting hitters. So I'm glad that's over with and we don't have to do that anymore. I would say, and this is probably worth um, pointing out again, since it has been so long since we've played under these conditions, that you can make up for a lack of of uh, quality at starting pitcher with quantity in this format easier than the others. And that's part of the reason Mm -hmm. why I like to emphasize hitting early. I like to make sure I get the most impactful player I can in each of those nine hitter spots. And I'm not saying totally neglect pitching early, but the middle ranks are deep at starting pitcher this year. And it's, you're more likely to find quality pitchers off the waiver wire than hitters. And if you are consistently playing matchups at starting pitcher if you are looking at two start streamers every week um and and, and you know make it so you have like nine starts in your lineup where your opponent might have seven starts in your lineup then you can make up for a shortage of talent and and what drafting too many high-end pitchers can do in the head-to-head points format is actually kind of um box you out of that strategy mm-hmm. you know because your pitchers are so good you want them in the lineup, and and you're going to pass up two start opportunities as a result. And that might actually end up holding you back. So while I think traditionally people think, okay, pitching early is the way to go in head to head points. I would disagree. And I think that's especially true now that the juice ball era is over.
1: One thing I will say, I know we want to move on, but one, I do want to kind of just emphasize the shape of the pitcher versus hitter pools in a head to head points league. So last year, 15 hitters had 500 plus fantasy points in this scoring format. 17 pitchers had 500 plus. They were all starting pitchers. So, you know, those high end pitchers, it was relatively close. Pitchers had a slight edge, 400 plus points, 55 hitters reached 400 plus plus points. Only 45 pitchers did. So, between 400 and 500 points there were 40 hitters and only 28 pitchers so i don't do think like the shape of the pools are are worth keeping in mind there where i think the aces are still super super valuable but this era that we're in where it's easier to find pitching i do think it's deeper in roto than in head-to-head points at least when you're taking a season long view maybe when you're talking about two starts and streamers and stuff like that it gets a little more skewed towards pitchers but on a season-long view, because so many of the guys that we like as depth options probably aren't going to throw more than 150 innings, it does, you know, volume really, really matters in a season-long context and head-to-head points.
2: Yeah. So the Mount Rushmore, they're even better in a format like this. The Merrill Kelly, Tyler, if Andrews, they hit, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, if they if they're anything close to what if, they if are they're last successful. Year, Right. I know that's
0: what you meant by if they hit,
2: but yeah, sorry. If
1: they hit as pitchers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like Tyler Anderson was SP seventeen last season. He was two and a half points behind Shohei Otani. Merrill Kelly was SP twenty. He was a half point behind Shane McClanahan. Miles Michaelis and Martin Perez, all four of those guys were top twenty-five yeah. starting pitchers. Martin Perez might be Martin Perez
0: might be the pitcher with the single biggest difference in value between rotisserie and
1: head-to-head points leagues yeah. And that yeah in that mediocre whip and points leagues mediocre yeah. whip doesn't get a lot of strikeouts but should be pretty good at preventing runs yeah
2: last couple points here we're not going to get to roto today i'll just save it for another day. i, I mean know. we
1: talk about roto a lot you know
2: yeah it's true we do but you know i think we could still on our mailbag we'll we'll lead that off with just like some roto strategy and then we'll get into your questions there last couple points got the streaming two-star pitchers my dad's strategy. Uh, he does it every year. Like as soon as our first waiver period runs, that guy picks up every single two-star pitcher that you can Man. imagine, like even the scrubbiest dudes. And he's just like, yeah. "Why do I lose?" Well, you know, you're starting uh, yeah. Trevor Williams in your lineup. Why? <laughs> why are you doing that? It's, it's um, yeah. And with the uh, with the juice ball era, Scott, let's just go with JBE. You know, let's just shorten it up. JBE.
0: Yeah. I, I look forward to the day when I can stop talking about it because it's far enough in the rear view mirror. But like it, it is, you know, it's that weird sort of thing where you lose the longer you do something, the more you lose a concept of time. And it was it was so long that I do think referring to the way things were before the juice ball era is just not something anybody has a concept for anymore. Uh, and and so, you know, it's it's kind of easy for me because like, you know, that the, for most of my career covering fantasy baseball, it was pre-juice ball era. Although so it's, it's kind of easy to for me now to go back to that. But it's uh, I think it's worth reminding the people who, who uh, aren't as aren't as. Um, you know, not aren't as immersed in fantasy baseball and haven't been for the last 15 years the way I have.
1: Been. The The good news is we can definitely count on Major League Baseball to make no more <laughs> unexpected or unannounced changes to the baseball. I mean, if, if there's be... one thing we can be sure of yeah. is that there's no way they might use different baseballs for different teams uh, next season or anything like that. Right. It's always on the up and up. It's it's. I, uh,
2: I wonder what we're going to call this next era of baseball. It's, <laughs> I have no idea.
1: I don't know. I don't know. Um, Maybe we should refer to tier- every era where there's a lot of home runs as the juice ball era. That's what I'm starting to think.
2: <laughs> yeah, Scott's favorite. Anywho, I'll, the, the
0: point about your dad um, and and starting every two start pitcher he can get his hands on, there is a point where there's diminishing returns with that strategy. Just like I was saying with the yes. SPARPs, uh, and you know, I, I release two star pitcher rankings every week during the season, and I they're kind of a it's kind of a tiered ranking where I basically say every pitcher below this point just don't even bother. And that's usually like one-third to one-half of the two start pitchers. But if you have a deep pitching staff already, like you use most of your bench spots on starting pitchers, so you draft eight or nine, let's say, Which then even without playing the waiver wire. Yeah, you should. Even without playing the waiver wire, you're going to have two start pitchers. Now, just given the shallow nature of the league, the nine you draft won't necessarily be the nine worth rostering all season long, so it's still worth consulting the two start sleepers two start streamers every week to find maybe ones that you end up being more than streamers uh the highest end ones uh, but but the idea is you want you want to have a deep pitching roster and head to head points and that if you combine that with a high-end hitting roster, I think that's where I've generally had the most success in this format. Uh, Because, you know, by season's end, even if you don't target especially high-end pitchers, there'll probably be a few on your roster who are pretty high-end, you know, just because it's it's such a deep position and um, there's so much turnover from year to year at it.
2: All right, well, we're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow with a live mock draft. Bye-bye.